The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material and a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm Vanessa. And this is episode number 261. We just finished doing our Exposition Street podcast for this week, which will be posted in a couple weeks. We're, we're catching up. <laughs> Yay! We're uh, so if we, we do that. this too much, we'll have to watch a couple movies in one week. Don't no, say that. no, 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 no. We can't start that. No, we don't have the time for watching movies. Are you kidding? Spend too much time editing podcasts uh, and, and gaming, which is what we talk about. I like gaming. It's our thing. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. And movies. <laughs> I know. I know. We all have. Uh, we all have kind of the same weaknesses here. I really enjoyed talking about today's movie because we got into some of the. Um, Hong Kong movie kind of tropes that inspired it. And uh, I don't have a ton of experience with that, but the aesthetic is fun. And I've always enjoyed watching martial arts flicks because, you know, action is fun to watch. Fighting is fun to watch. The ones that get super creative with using the environment around it as well. Yes. Right. I free freaking parkour. love it. Yeah. And so one of the, the big thing I kind of would like to talk about on this episode is uh, kind of that, about action and stylized action sequences inside the game experience. Because uh, when we talk about role-playing, a lot of the times, you know, we tend to think our brain goes directly to, in our case, not, not the case with everybody, uh, our brain kind of goes directly to um, personality and playing the character. Uh, Characterization? Yes, thank you. In our case, we do a lot of uh, a portrayal where we we focus on character voice and and character intent and how they're thinking and how it affects what they do and and express. You know, it's it's a big part of it. So the psychology of the character matters a lot. The philosophy of the character matters a lot. Their needs, their interests, what have you. Their fears. Role playing oh still includes. A, a heavy dose of character portrayal in a visual sense as well, and I think that can that can really be a strong component of how what we enjoy about a game, because ultimately the Western power fantasy is about putting yourself into the role of a person who is experiencing these amazing adventurous things and is being a a hero or a badass or a, a you know a cool person or whatever it is that you're you know, into playing. All about the hero's journey. Yeah, absolutely. And and for us as well. You know, that's that's the whole point, right? Is we get to experience that. And sometimes we get to shortcut some of that, you know. We get to go from us the not hero to my character the badass, and it's great. It's fine. So certainly the way they come off in the way you picture them, the way that everybody else pictures them, the way you visualize uh, combats and action sequences and dramatic sequences in your head plays a strong role in how that character feels, the tone of the character and the feel, the flavor of the character during the course of that character's lifespan with you. And that's relevant because some of our campaigns will span weeks, months, years, and that's part of the fun, obviously, is getting to know them. Now, some of them probably go too long. (laughs) Some of those campaigns probably kind of uh, outlasted their welcome in terms of the character. There are points where I've seen characters that don't really develop much past a certain point because I think the player, I don't know if they're fatigued or if they just don't really have a whole lot else to add. It's always fun to start somebody new if you think you're going to have a chance to really kind of get into it. But, you know, every campaign is a mixed bag, right? Every time you start something, you don't know, is this going to last two weeks? Is this going to last two years? Is this going to be a big epic story? Is this going to be a a low, you know, a low energy kind of, you know, well, 
mystery. I mean, you're or making a trail mix. You're picking things you think will go well together. You shake it together. You get out on the trail, and you're like, oh, why did I put these together? <laughs> That's really these good. These don't Sticks. work at all. <laughs> Wait, an M&M. <laughs> why did I put M&Ms in this? They all melted. Oh, Sticks. these are the almond M&Ms. Why? Because <laughs> you still have almonds. M&M. You still have almonds when it's over. Win-win. What's this bag of almonds here? Oh, well, that was a bag of M&Ms. So action sequences, which the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is fights. And and to be fair, I I, I wish he was on the show with us now, but he he had to take off early. But uh, Kid and I were discussing a uh, phenomenon in a book. What were we talking about? We were talking about Wheel of Time. And uh, uh, I guess if you happen to be a reader who enjoyed this series, you'd know what I was talking about just by mentioning it. Uh, I know Richard would. There is a sequence at the end of book six, the Demise Wells event, that is so visceral and so powerful that you are swept up in it. And anytime I just say the words, you, if you've read these books, just pictured what happened in real time, you know, context, because yeah. it was visually stupendous. To be fair, those books have a lot of great moments and fights and developments in the story and dramatic events, but a lot of them, are they're not that visceral. There's not a lot of that. They don't have that sort of visual context that immediately takes you right back to it. That scene did for both internal and external stimuli, because you were dealing with the the character in the middle of it who was trying to process and deal with what was happening to him, and you were dealing with the, the, uh, the scene that was unfolding around him, which was in fucking sane. Oh, yeah. So that sort of stuff, he's like, kid looks at me and says, how do you take that and make it part of a game? You know, how do you build a game around really visceral events? And one of the struggles is, of course, that in the narration of a gaming experience, if you're the game master, you're not on your own. If you're a player, your input is pretty personal. It's a collaborative experience. So unless the right mix of elements comes together at the right time and you've got everybody in the right headspace, it's going to be a really tough sell. I see that. Not that you can't attempt it. Not that, you know, especially if you're a game master who's really creative and good at painting pictures with your words, you know, getting everybody engaged in what you're saying. And I, I'm a, I have mixed experience with that. I'm, sometimes I'm really good at it. Sometimes I'm just not. You know, and I, I, I recognize my failings, <laughs> but I think it's it's important to know that you have the power to create that sort of imagery. You have the power to create those sorts of experiences, but you got to get buy in. Everybody's got to want it. Everybody yeah. has to want it. Everybody has to be on the same page. Everybody has to be participating at that level at that time. Yes. But in a previous campaign, I did. I had my tiger character. I don't even remember the race now. Ha. Tabaxi? What's Tabaxi that? type yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, tiger type character. He was known for very being very, very cat-like and doing pouncy stuff. So he did cat parkour type things you would do. And I said I was going to jump over a wall, jump over the guy and, and attack him. And I rolled a natural 20 and applied a ton of damage on the roll 20 thing. And I'm like, okay, so I go through and we, you know, we all now have this head canon in the scene because we all know my character you know did that short run flipped up over the wall and purposefully chopped off the character the other guys the bad guy's head and then landed on the other side and it's like who's next you know because we were able to narrate that out and the dice provided that pathway and those, those moments that's are more good. of an exception than a rule right and those moments are good but they're also very small they're right. like an instant a thing a little thing yeah that was a moment 
we've most of us have had our moment, moment. Yeah. to have a scene. Yeah. And I mean and I've the run the whole scene. I've run some games with some pretty potent imagery built into the situation, but that right. doesn't always turn visceral. One of the best examples that comes to mind, and we've talked about it a couple times on the show, but it's always hard to make to paint the picture with words on the show and, and capture that moment, was with Brick on the Beach. I was actually going to mention that. That was yeah. incredible. Uh, because the Brick on the Beach scene only worked because everybody else got sidelined, and it was Brick on right. the Beach. But everybody was, was invested in what was happening right. with him. I mean, right. It was an awesome thing, but it was more than just a moment. It was the whole scene, mm-hmm. but Brick had the scene to himself. Now, and you're not wrong, because there's a certain level of, if you are constantly breaking up things, and so you have this cool thing happening, and you're talking to this one player, and they're like, and then I'm going to do this, and that's so dramatic and cool. Okay, yeah, now, Frank, what do you do? I was going to say, from your point of view, you may remember that being focused entirely on Brick. I still remember my character doing sideline things. There wasn't much I could do because if I started to attack, the people I had tricked into believing I was their ally would have attacked me. And so I had to help as minimally as possible. I ended up casting a healing spell over at another friend who was trying to get away from this. There were other actions happening but it was but they, strong enough of an image of what was going on yeah. that we were you were able to focus on you. I was able to focus on me. But I'm over there watching your character do these things. But I was still doing other stuff. Oh, I'm so sorry. I completely, I, I literally do not remember it Eric there. breaking away and that's to what have we other discuss. people do other things. That's that's kind of what I'm talking about, though. Too the thing was the reason that that's so that that is the way it is is because we did focus so much on the intensity of the sequence, and because the things that the other PCs were doing did not disrupt what was happening with Brick. Yeah, nothing entered into your little piece of that um, scenario. They were doing things like coming out up on the beach. They were regrouping. They were. You know, infiltrating the enemy camp. They were putting themselves in a position to shoot if they needed to. They were doing things like that. They were being ready for what happens next, but they were all watching Brick do what he did or were in a position where they couldn't. That was a rare rare moment because one of the other things that scene had going for it is that we all knew what we were doing, and so we weren't spending 10 minutes making a decision when it came to our turn. Right. That helped a lot. Because we knew what the scene was going on and what we each so, need to do to get to where we need to get. The to. question becomes: Is that a happy accident, or is that buy-in, or is it a combination? Both. You know, can we put the lightning back in the bottle? Yeah, right. And then, I mean, I, I mean, I picked that particular sequence because it jumped instantly to mind, which is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about, right? But and and, and if you haven't heard us talk about it before, this was basically a scene in which uh, Jason's character crawled out of the sea onto the beach of this island, and they were approaching this tower to attack it. And he has a power that allows him to get up when his hit points hit zero, pop back up to one hit point, and continue on. And he can do this up to a number of times equal to his constitution modifier, right? And these weren't low-level characters. So he had gotten ground down during the approach and during the fire, you know, because the shots are being fired from the opponents. On the approach, this is a, a kind of a steampunky style game, so it's got a little bit of more industrial edge. The bad guys had time to set up a cannon, uh, not cannon, excuse me, of tank, it was a basically. Tank. Definitely a tank. It was a um, tank. In front of the door to this tower and had a clear shot all the way to the beach. And once he climbed into that straightaway, they fired and it did enough damage to drop him. And he got right the fuck back up. 
And so everybody on the sidelines, all the guys that were watching for other threats or just kind of kind of like, what the hell? You know, I'm like, man, he's resilient. You know, he starts up. We're taking we're going ahead and I'm handling like enemies like shooting and things like that. But I'm handling it so fast and so invisibly because I don't want to break the action. I don't want to break the tension. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll right. say things like, oh, you get you do get hit. I, I mean, I, I was probably the point where I was just kind of rolling. You do get hit with a couple arrows over here. You you yeah, no, actually, that would have ruined your deal, obviously. But by by the time it was brick versus the tank, the other side stuff was gone. Right. Well, there were still there, there were was still a enemies couple there. points where he did but, rolls, but none of them hit yeah, because you were you had a high IC. Yeah, you're also yeah, a, you are a tank. You, you know, really so are. I mean, they weren't hitting you, but I would just do a few rolls because they were also by the second time he went down and got back up. They're in awe. The enemy soldiers are sitting Surrender. here going, "What the hell?" And you know. And nobody can hit anything, and uh, the tank fires a third time, and he goes down, and he gets back up. And by this point, the guys in the tank are freaking out. You know, so all of that, of course, was on me as the game master to play out in a way that was fun and engaging. But the scene was so good, and it wasn't planned. It wasn't planned that way. I had no idea what you guys were going to do on approach to the island. All that stuff was your decision. I didn't have time to prep a situation scenario that was going to play out like this. I knew I had the tank as a resource that I was going to use because it was cool. I had no idea the scene was going to play out that way, and it was a lot of fun. And the other characters moved into isolated combats. They got to where they weren't being mobbed on by everybody, and they were still doing their little combat things in between. It was just moving smoothly, because by the time it came around, we were all focused. Because I want feel this so done. bad and want to spend some time off show hearing what the actual memory should be, because my memory is just so... Focused. Focused on no. what Rick was doing that I literally... I can honestly say there was no time, because that, that was like that. four rounds or something like that. There was honestly was no time at which I was ignoring everybody else and not giving them a chance to do things. Well, I, I didn't think you were ignoring right. them. They were just, okay, you're here, you're here, right. and until Brick got to the door, there was nothing else to do. That's the way it was in my head. And there, there was a lot of that going on, too, but there were still some other cross-interactions, and we were given opportunities to interact because we could have helped you. Also, at the table, uh, it's it's a little bit different than like, because um, we did a lot of gaming online and probably a lot of our listeners do. Uh, at the table, there's this way of kind of carrying on side things on the sly. You know, you're focusing on this and I can turn to Richard who's sitting directly to my left and say, um, while he's doing that, are you going to, you know, are you, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I can, I can handle yeah. that real fast I'm, while you're I'm looking using up my your, charisma to you know, tell the soldiers over here, wow, this guy must be amazing. Right. I'm, I'm kind of scared. I don't know if I want to actually face him. I can have him make a quick die roll on the slide while you're doing your thing. I, I can handle other things or they can handle stuff between each other. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm I'm helping uh, Alec do this thing, and Alex likes, and there's, and there's like twi- there's like four seconds of role playing between them while we're still focusing on the main event. Quote unquote. But distracting the guards would help you get up to the tank without getting any more hits than you need to. There have been other scenes in that but it that was campaign's so a good one because um, Ryan likes a lot of that. You know, likes showcasing big eventful combat. You know, climactic combat stuff like Born when he's going across the city, the big metal monster, and you guys are taking him out of the. Or the airship that you know, with the the big metal, the meta mind thing that had taken over the city, and you guys were you know swinging around it and stuff. Some of you were inside, you know, fighting. It's uh, stuff like that that were big and and um, there were spectacles, but they didn't feel that that same. They didn't have that same level of of 
you know, what, what's the term I used earlier? Um, visceral. Visceral. Yeah, the uh, same visceral quality. Yeah, that I, I think is really neat. How you approach action in a campaign, how you approach action in uh, combat sequences, in and out of combat sequences, actually, I think um, adds a lot of dimension to the characters and the player experience. And not just as a game master, players have a great deal of, of responsibility in this as well, because you get to determine how your character behaves and can describe it in whatever fashion you like. Uh, at my table, it's you can even go so far as to expand that agency to the world around you a little bit without ever running into, not without usually running into problems. Rarely will we hit a retcon unless it's right. important. Right. <laughs> it just so happens, you know, you said you were going to pick up the the uh, the computer and hit him over the head and we don't have computers in this facility and that's important because then you'd be able to use the computers for something that you can't and this would have been not the scenario that kind of thing but you know it's you have to really kind of keep in mind that um, a lot of the assumptions you can make about your environment are fine I have I think I've said it on the show before I have never when somebody said I'm going to pick up a tankard and you know smash him over the head even though we never established there was a tankard around stopped and said you can't find a tankard you know oh this bar doesn't allow tankards. <laughs> played with GMs that are like that. They're not fun. Right. Everybody and, drinks out of bowls. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the players who look at the GM and go, is there a tanker nearby? No. You know. Do you want there to be a tanker? <laughs> 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 Hashtag tankered gate. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yes, I want a tankered, and there has to be clouds on the freaking <laughs> tankered. Wow. Oh, okay. There are no clouds. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, tankards, I'll let you decide on, but clouds are completely out of your realm. But I guess that's not really the point. But <laughs> but you have the power to determine how you know, what style and approach your character has when they right. come in. And how you choose to describe that, how you choose to, maybe the first step, I should say, how you choose to visualize that. Right. You know, whether you visualize that. Because I think especially if a person's not really into it, not really engaged, not feeling good, you know, fatigued. There's a lot of reasons why we won't even bother with the whole visualization component of this. Oh, I'm going to hit him with my axe again. If you look at a list of actions on your character sheet, you will never slide down the banister and slash at the guy on the way down the stairs. You might Eldritch Blast, though, just saying. Well, I know, but I'm just I'm, I'm saying you will not get those cinematic effects. You will no. not swing from a chandelier because that is not in the list of actions. It's simply simple attacks. Yeah, the attack is part of a movement. Head. You can define certain things in that, and you should. I do struggle a little bit with that in the um, dungeon crawls and such, which I've always not had a lot issues of chandeliers. With. Right, right. The environment and the only um, stairs did not have railings, and they are not OSHA compliant. I have complaints to the dungeon. Yeah, we know. The uh, the no environment, so many deaths. the environment, and the character's relationship with the environment should be a part of the role playing experience in whatever you're doing. You know, and and as uh, to be fair, most of the heavy lifting for that is on the game master. How you describe things, what kind of options you put in front of them, but also. There's a lot of kind of systems and assumptions and archetypes that are already in your favor as well. Like if I say, well, you enter a tavern, it's big, noisy, high wooden ceilings. There's people um, dancing around to the musician in the quarter playing a zither. I've only said 17 words, but you have a very, a, a very strong image in your head, what's going on around you, and can engage with that at whatever level you feel like. Which means that you may end up inventing things that I didn't say, or but you're definitely going to assume things I didn't say, 
And that's not a weakness on the part of that system. That is a strength that the Game Master can rely on. I don't have to fill in all these details in order to create a complete picture. I have seen your lies. Eyes. I have seen your lies. I have seen your I've seen eyes. Right through them. Yes, your, I know. I've seen your eyes light up when somebody says something that you're like, that's delicious. I like that. Yes. Maybe delicious is something I do, but um, no, it's good though. But where you I get where you, you enjoy that, and it's like that trick of music where the repetition of the of the tune is designed in a way so that that one time it flips just a little bit different, your ear goes, ah, that's amazing. <laughs> good analogy, I like that one. I feel like if you don't take advantage of that as a game master, you're missing out hardcore. But more importantly, if you don't take advantage of that as a player, then you are giving up a lot of your agency at the table. And a lot of the story. And a lot of that, whether you realize it or not, and we've talked about this before, but it's a hard thing to kind of pound into people's heads sometimes, I think. A lot of that means that what you're giving up is the opportunity to portray your character the way you see them to the other people at the table. That's really hard sometimes. It is. (laughs) We have often have an image in our head of the person we're trying to play. And that person, um, if they're, (laughs) kids on here to talk about it, he had a a perfect example, the one we learned this on, basically. He once played a swordsman who was supposed to be such a graceful badass with his blades, and he couldn't roll with a shit. That that character got beat up more times than Worf. I mean, he was just really, really biting it every time every time he turned around. And but the character's persona was supposed to be this badass that people feared. And it got so frustrating. Then <laughs> when he played with it, he tried to play it out, played it off the way he saw the character when he role-played it, but in fights it didn't hold up. Now, this is a case where the statistics were defeating the character concept. Right. That's that's a mechanical thing that sometimes you just got to fucking deal with. But it also was the fact that he didn't marry them very well. He tried to maintain the image he saw in his head and assumed that everybody else saw the same. But it made him come off as, a, as kind of cartoonish to the other players. That would do he it. He had a strong cognitive dissonance, and he actively ignored the facts instead of to keeping his self-perceived reality. What, and it's a real thing. What ended up causing him a headache, cool. though, in the game was that he couldn't get other people to see the character the way he wanted. Now I get that. And he, he couldn't figure out why. You know, this, and we were, we were younger at the time. This was earlier in our gaming career. Like I said, this is kind of where we learned this. But there is a very powerful element of characterization in the apprehension of your fellow players. It's what they see at the table that brings it to life a lot of times. Because in your head, it's always going to be what it is. Now, you may be a player that that's all you care about, and that's fine. It's not as fun, in my opinion, but it is fine. You are very welcome to internalize everything you like about your character and not worry about how it comes off to everybody else. But it is going to be more rewarding to have interactions in game that are built on the premises that you see. It's, you know, when when they when your character interacts with NPCs and especially with other PCs, you want your the way your character comes off in your head to inform those reactions so that you're getting the feedback that's consistent with that. Yeah, because if you don't, it can be very frustrating, you know, and jarring. You don't feel it's disjointed. You don't feel like you're getting the gaming experience that you signed up for at that point. Why does nobody take me seriously is a hard question to answer when all you've paid attention to is whether or not you take your character seriously. True. Yeah. So that's part of the, the element of action style that I'm talking about, because when you enter a combat or action sequence, you have the opportunity to take advantage of that. Describe it. Now, there are players who will go ahead and, you know, be very particular about that. Like, 
I'm entering a combat scene. Okay, it's my round. I could say I roll an 18 and I do 12 points of damage. Or I could say I hit an 18, the GM says hit, and I go, I bring my sword around in a great arc, you know, the sun shining off the tip of the blade as I drive it through his midsection, you know, and uh, tell him the damage. And of course, if it was three points of damage, I'm going to be really curious about how much midsection you think you got out of that, but that's not the point. <laughs> an arc would do a lot of damage, especially if it's made of gopher wood. I can say D&D Beyond and Roll20 kind of take away a little long. bit of that. Because it gives you mm. the attack damage and the, the damage damage all at once. The attack roll all and the damage done at once. all at once. So you don't have the chance to build up to that damage roll. Well, I don't know if that's an issue, though. I mean, a lot of times, especially in larger groups, when you're moving around combats and trying to keep things flowing smoothly, players will roll their attacks and damage at the same time anyway. You know, I know, I know you used to do that, Jason. Mm-hmm. You just brick, pick up that. Because you knew when it got to you, you wanted to get through your action quickly because there are seven yeah. other people at the table. Was it uh, because of the way I did five attacks at once, I actually had my colors of my damage dice paired to my attack dice. Right. Especially because I got my attacks at advantage. Almost the time. <laughs> yeah. So I had them all paired. I had which ones paired. And I knew if I had advantage, it'd be the better of these two dice, the better of these two dice, the better of these two dice, the better of these two dice. Because the engagement. Like so many dice. The engagement. Which is why I wanted to do it before it got to my turn again. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the engagement with the rules is the thing that slows things down the most. Right. If you're trying to be immersive, glacial pacing can be an enemy. And combat is where glacial pacing gets the most compromised. Oh, Vanessa, that was Eldritch Blast. Yeah. Yeah, uh, high that. level, yeah, like a 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Five Eldritch Blast. I, I really feel... Four, four, four or five. I really feel like you have a missed opportunity, though, if you're not if you're not visualizing things clearly. And what that means for me, I am playing currently um, uh, Jonica. My wife is running a game. You're playing Jonica? Yes. No. Feels look um, good on you, sir. <laughs> My character in her game is a samurai. She's running an Asian-style D&D game. And uh, I am trying to take that into account with everything that I do. When I describe the character's motions in a combat sequence, I visualize a samurai, the samurai warrior that I am playing, behaving in this particular sequence and how it would look, say, on screen. Because I like cinematic flavor in my game, so that's one of the, that's where I go. I'm not necessarily really good. Like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with like uh, Hong Kong movies and such. So I don't have a lot of uh, just general kind of Asian-flavored... Kung Fu. Yeah, Kung Fu stuff in, in my head. All I have is a lot of the American fare that's built on it. You know, uh, and, and Surf ninjas. Not oh, that. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And that's something, and it includes a lot of the drama that's built out of that. Like I've always said, I I didn't get into Westerns until Westerns got contemporary. You know, I got into Westerns when um, the cinematography achieved a more normative sort of modern feel uh, in in the late 80s. Until then, I couldn't watch the old Westerns because the way they looked and felt felt so dim and fake to me. But they didn't care when they made them back then. At some point, they were like, we need to make these feel grittier and real and more in the moment. And nowadays, when they make a Western, it's got a lot of that. And I enjoy them, even though I don't enjoy the Western genre. I like spaghetti westerns. They have I don't. a fun feel. Yeah, and that's that's that is exactly kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's 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 light. I like B movie entertaining. Sci-fi. And I don't. Again, I like immersion. <laughs> I like immersions in my in my head. It needs to be to a place where I can really, really not think about the movie Wait. or or television. So when my character rolls a 19, I can't say I do a spinning drop tick kick and accidentally knock over one of the panels of the backdrop. <laughs> you can, because I will never tell you what you can't do. 
but you will not be respected or admired for it. I'm not used to not being respected or admired. <laughs> Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. All of the enemies suddenly <laughs> turn on you. <laughs> and that's a question of tone as well. And in some games, that works better than others. You know, it depends on the group you got. Oops, depends on the game you're playing. Did I break the fourth wall? <laughs> My bad. Yeah. You didn't make a Deadpool. If you yet. if you take advantage of that, though, and really focus on creating visualizations um, in your head and sharing those right, in some right. fashion. The problem with Deadpool is four Deadpools would not work. <laughs> He's right. You that's say a, that. That's a lot of One walls. wall breaker is great. I love Parker Lewis can't lose. Four or eight wall breakers. Four wall breakers crazy. would turn into a like a comedic only thing. It you would, would have to comedy. not have any encounters, or if you do, be prepared to not take anything seriously. Oh, that's my life. I know, right? <laughs> I'm sure there are podcasts out there that could give you exactly that gaming experience if you want to listen to them. I'm good. I'm sure I've found Savage Worlds campaigns. I might have even bought some of the one-shots that have stuff like that. It would not surprise me with some of the stuff that I've bought. That's fair. By the way, I found what I'm going to run for TsunamiCon. I still need to list it. Ooh. <laughs> nice. You should do I that. I found what I want to buy from Asamtees.shop. <laughs> you should do that, too. Uh, the... <laughs> Style, though, that you bring to it as a game master and as a player also creates its own kind of continuity. Once you kind of establish this 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 flavor, this feel, this tone, it will follow you as long as you don't do anything to violate it. So much like the archetypes that the, I was talking about, you know, that the game master has at their disposal, you as a player have that at your disposal as well. Once you establish that this is a fighting style, people start visualizing your character fighting like that. Yeah. Even if you don't stop and describe it. Like Xanatos. Well, and yeah, that's where I was on my, my tiger character is that everybody knew he did a bit of parkour and he did a lot of cat-like action. Right. So nobody was surprised when he would do a pounce flip. and Right. If he starts wiggling his butt, there's enemies. That's that's true. If I saw something and nobody else saw it, my character would like, p- crouch down and start wiggling his butt. It's and everybody would be like, oh, there's enemies around. A little cartoonish, though. It was. It, but was, it was, but it worked. It worked. <laughs> but like Xanatos with his... Utilicilt, and he would oh, yeah. twirl in and out of battle, and that was fun. Go I back and loved his Utilicilt. Xanatos was your Eberron character. Yeah, he was. Uh, what was his deal? He was. What was it called? Redead. Like a, yeah, whatever it was called. Returned or the returned. Know. Yeah, but he, it was an archetype, like a th- a rogue rogue arc- type changeling, yeah. wasn't it? He was a rogue changeling. Yeah. But he had a he adopted a style of uh, fighting that was kind of dancey. Yeah, it was very dancey. It, it was, was awesome. twirly and flowy, and which I think would started move, because he, he, he would was, move in and then he would move out, and which I think started because he was he was wearing skirts for disguise and, and finds it very that, comfortable. Yeah, I think what happened was you you'd entered a fight situation, you did something, and I described because I do this a lot when when people tell me. I rolled a 14, I do excellent damage. I then stop and describe, you know, such and such brings his axe in low and sweeps across. And, you know, I do the descriptions I don't hear the players doing because I'm trying to go ahead and create that sequence, that visual sequencing. And I think I described something about the twirling and you were like, oh, that's very freeing. <laughs> it's like, I like that, you know. And, and so then you started incorporating it into your yeah, actions. it became a thing. That- and every fight after that, I was mad- imagining Xanatos like twirling around and being like, oh, this is lovely while he's slicing people up. La, la, la. Like sending dark tendrils like snakes at them and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. It was fun. That you want whirling dervishes? Fun. Because that's how you get whirling dervishes. Right? It's not a bad thing. 
<laughs> Unless it is. <laughs> Speaking of dervishes. Unless you're mad at you, it's then it's a bad thing. The I am looking at taking our, um, I guess Jason's not in this one, our Tuesday night online game that we're doing. That's been a very dungeon crawly game because that was the experiment. I'm looking at, uh, we're, we're currently in the Forge of Fury adventure. If you've ever uh, looked at the uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal, you know what I'm talking about. We ran the Sanus on the Citadel and the Forge of Fury, running the Monroe 20 with all the, the tchotchkes, the, the dynamic lighting and the maps and the monster tokens, all that stuff. It's been a lot of fun. It's a little different than we usually play. I mean, some people probably listen to me say that and go, well, that's how we play all of our games, you know, including buying pre-made adventures. And I'm sitting here going, eh. <laughs> this is a little bit of an experiment for us. It's not just a back-to-basics experience. It's more like playing with the technology yeah. is what got us here. It is fun. But you kind of it's failed, different. didn't you? I mean, Vanessa's character got to level four. Yeah, I'm not sure how that happened. I broke the curse. No, no I am. She uh, stays away from every enemy. That's how she it works. She really did avoid all combat <laughs> possible. Back up! After having a campaign where she had a character die every three levels, her next step was apparently to build a character who never went anywhere near the bad guys. She plays artillery. Yes. I'm way over here. <laughs> I have a three foot, 300 foot range. I'm just going to be back here. You guys run in. It's fine. Yeah. Works. Warlocks. Yep. They're the best. I made it yeah. to level four. I want to play a warlock again. So I play a 19th level warlock again. We are, what are you playing right now, Bard? Uh, yeah, yes. doing the Broken Eloquence Bard. Yeah. I, so I, I was thinking about the next thing I want to do after Forge of Fury, because you guys will be fifth level at the end of the game, at the end of the adventure. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, by the time this gets posted, we'll be... <laughs> Spoiled. I post these every week. You know that. It's not like That's true. I'm not. We're not talking about a recording of the game session or anything. We gave I mean, up on that. Wow. Aww. I have so much of a backlog on that that I just. On yeah. the other hand, mm. somewhere there is a a card that has that combat on it, and we could go back and listen to that. That's true. With all the sounds of Cheetos, the brick. That, that whole fight? He's right. We should have a recording of that somewhere. Yeah, that's probably true. Because we recorded pretty much every session of that particular campaign while it was ongoing. Kept it up even though we didn't. I wasn't getting them posted anymore because editing on editing. Uh, so if you are out there running a podcast where you are like like mo- the majority, the vast majority of gaming related podcasts these days are actual play podcasts. What that is is you you tune into the podcast and you're listening to people play the game, not listen to yeah who's like us sit around and you know jaw about it for an hour. But the editing involved in putting those sessions together is a monstrous chore when you are as particular as I am. And I am not dogging on anybody's podcast. I, I understand fully that in a lot of cases, if you aren't willing to put that kind of time into editing, you're not going to run that kind of show. So making the choice to go ahead and do it means you're making the choice to go ahead and do it. Yeah. And that's fine. And nowadays, of course, more and more of it is video. You know, audio podcasting is starting to become a little bit of an anomaly. And uh, so, I mean, that's watching people play the game. Now, I cannot sit around for hours and watch people play games. I it's can't fun do to it. play. Not hours, but I I tell you what, if we get some good feedback, I wouldn't mind re-examining if I have the uh, time in my schedule to maybe start doing the uh, actual play one shots we were doing for yes, a while. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah, that was fun. I, I would was play when I can. If we get <laughs> if we get some good feedback saying that people really want us to do it more, I would happily do that. So anyway, I'm I'm considering starting up for the fifth level characters. Uh, I'm considering returning to a first edition module of mine that's a favorite, an adventure that I've run a couple times in total over the years and several times in part when I was younger. It's a it's called the Desert of Desolation. 
uh, it is a extraordinarily flavorful mini campaign, basically. And uh, your pictures making all kinds of faces. I read the text. I said, okay, sounds good. I did not see that it was Desert of Desolation. I am a thousand percent on board and I'm an accountant and I said a thousand percent. I am really here. It's it is, okay. Justin doesn't listen to the podcast. You won't have to listen about this for the next two weeks. The Desert is uh, one of my favorite adventures because I've had so many great experiences trying to run it. I know that's a funny thing to say. But what it is, is my very first Dungeon Master, not not the guy that introduced me to the game, but the first one that I seriously spent any time gaming with, was... Um, he was somebody that used old AD&D modules pretty regularly, and he ran the desert for one of the one of the first groups I was in. Me and my my parents were in that game, and uh, some other friends. Um, I was the only kid, but the the experience kind of stayed with me. And when I later got my hands, because he had the originally, it was like <laughs> for those who give a shit. Originally, it was three individual modules, uh, Pharaoh, Oasis uh, of Light, Palm, Lost to Martech, I think, and uh, I-325 for the AD&D bus. And uh, they were fantastic. They have great sort of like desert mysteries built into them, you know, cool kind of flavorful enemies. And there's like a pyramid with all kinds of dungeony goodness in it. Yeah, I remember the modules. I, re- I remember some of the maps too. I never got to actually run it. I know it very well, even though there's not a fifth edition conversion out for it because it hasn't been revisited at that level. I have, uh, or there, there's not a fifth edition, a version of it out of me. There is a conversion I found through DM's Guild where somebody's gone ahead and revised all the, you know, stats, the stats and everything and, and, and kind of, you know, given their advice about various parts of it. It's actually a pretty big document, uh, but it's a big adventure. I have the original module, you know, the, the combined one, the Desert Desolation that got published as one book. And um, they did a lot of cool stuff. They even added like a um, alphabet that is on the inscriptions, like everything that you find everywhere. That's visual. Literally, you would originally you would cut up the phrases off of a, like a photocopy, this sheet that they gave it to you. Cut them up and hand them out as people found them, and they'd have to you know decipher it because that's know, cool stuff like that. And it's it is decipherable. It is something that people can figure out. That's cool. I was super impressed with this experience. And I have run it to completion a couple of times, but it is huge. So I don't know if we would end up, you know, playing it all the way through or whatnot, but it would give us a lot of hours of fun getting there. Uh, I say I don't know because our Tuesday night sessions tend to be only a couple hours long. So it's an adventure that could potentially last us years, (laughs) depending on how far you guys moved along and but I think we'd have fun with it. And I'm, I'm working on, I'm already working on map conversions. I found a guy that had made like more kind of like cooler looking versions of the maps that are great for virtual tabletop and, uh, you know, downloaded all those maps. And uh, so I'm building the the walls and the lighting stuff into them now and then kind of getting them set up and ready to go. It's going to be a little bit of work, but we're not there yet. But I, I'm excited about it. And the desert is another example of a, of a campaign that has a lot of flavor to it, that it's kind of different than the standard D&D fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to make sure my toolbox going into as a game master includes a lot of descriptive ideas that are conser- conversant with that. So that when you are fighting with or dealing with um, denizens of that environment, that I can somehow emphasize that sort of like... Arabian sort of, you know, feel or or Egyptian sort of feel or whatever is going because it kind of bastardizes a lot of real world stuff that that's deserty. Welcome to D and D. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that was you know fine. And 
I, I think it's gonna be fun. It'll be it'll be cool to kind of play with and see how it goes. But that game has been kind of a challenge for me in that regard because since we have short sessions and since there we're looking at most of the time when you guys do the dungeons, especially we're I mean I could literally start up a session by moving you guys back to the map so you can see your characters and you can see what your characters can see from where they off, left off last week. I don't even have to say anything. I can literally show that to you guys. Okay, um, well, as long as nobody has any question about what happened last, which often the environment that you're in is a quick reminder of that anyway, I can literally open up the map and say, okay, what do you guys want to do? You know, which is lazy DMing, but I'm also interested in, sometimes I go that way because I'm also interested in getting us into the game and uh, getting some actual game time in before our busy schedules keep us from being able to, yeah. Yeah, since we have short sessions, you can't really give like a half hour introduction or whatever. Yeah, I and I, I am that game master. I can do that. You know, it's like, You've just finished, you know, chopping off the head of the last beast or whatever, because to say we're just two seconds later, the blood is dripping from your blade and is the only sound you hear echoing through the chamber as everyone starts to take stock of themselves. And you can feel people like rummaging around on their armor and making sure that, the, you know, nothing has been poked in a place that's going to be fatal. Yeah, add that descriptive stuff and kind right. of start creating those qualities. And I want to, but I don't have the energy for it. And that game kind of sucks it out of me a little bit because there's so much of short, there's so much shorthand in the whole moving through the dungeon experience. That visual stuff that's fun right. but changes things a lot. Which does take back to the point of when you have a room drawn out, even with a few pieces of furniture in it, it then becomes important to remember that just because it's on or not on there doesn't mm-hmm. mean everything's set in stone, and this is the entirety of your existence. And that can be tough too. It's like great, great looking maps that have uh, furnishings and stuff driven on to, you know, which I, I feel I have mixed feelings about, right? Because that desk can be moved. Well, and if somebody <laughs> especially asks if it's you alive. to draw an overhead view of your bedroom, you would not draw every single tiny item that's in your bedroom in that picture, but they would still exist in the world. And most of them can be manipulated in some fashion. Exactly. And that's the important thing to make sure that people are visualizing. Just like if you are, and we've had this conversation, you know, Jason probably remember, go way back to the the Maps and Minis conversations, right? About mm-hmm. immersive play. Yep. If you have your token on the battle map, or in this case on the screen, same situation, token on the battle map, and you are looking at, you got three enemies around you, three or four enemies around you, they're all within, you know, five feet or whatever, they're all in a melee attack range. You are involved and invested in this combat. And you come around to your moment in the combat. Are you bothering to visualize, I'm in this person's headspace and I'm looking around, there's an enemy here and there's somebody here and my blade's coming around from this side and I'm trying to, you know, are you putting yourself there or are you looking at, well, that guy is standing here on that square and um, if I take him out first then I can do this. That's why I like the dynamic lighting in Roll20 because I don't see the entire map. I don't see what everyone sees. I just see what I see. Until it glitches and then you see the whole map as if you had walked through everything at one point I can tell with dynamic lighting what I can see and I'm like have to pretend like I'm not doing it. If you didn't notice the last two weekends I let someone else lead the way because I know exactly where the twists and turns are, and I'm Whoops. very irritated. You and just I hate it when roll. roll 20 does that. Another map, right? Get you Once we level. get to a different 
level, it'll be back again. And if, but that's what happened on the last level, and then it happened again on this level. It broke, and I, I don't know what porked it. I do really enjoy the dynamic lighting, but I will say that one of the things that that actually also I think hampers is the apprehension of what your character is experiencing in the moment, because it does give you that that new piece of data. This is what I can actually see, mm-hmm. and especially with maps that have great <laughs> detail on, like we're talking about, Ooh, where there's I a, see bad guys. You know, <laughs> you see tokens of bad guys or partial tokens of bad guys in the light, so you know they're there. And I like to, I like playing that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Or if you see like crates and barrels drawn on the map, you know that that's what's over there. We've had to kind of like imagine our head a few times when those things have kind of moved around or like draw stuff on the map to say. But right, and then there's you clarify how high they go to. But uh, we've had a couple times where like um, Nira, whose character uses a bullseye lantern, and so it's a directional light on the map, and she has oh, to be facing so a direction. If it's dark in the area she's in, she can't see what's behind her. So the problem with that is that if there was somebody five feet behind you, there's a good chance you noticed them getting there. Yeah. Even in the even in a dark area, there's yeah, a chance you, you heard them. something. Or if you're looking out a hallway and you can see up there, but because of the position that Phoenix is in, she's looking down the hallway. But the battle's moved around the corner, and she doesn't know what's going on. But she can still hear what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember as the Game Master to provide that information so could, that you can make decisions. Could you solve that by when she has the lantern on, she has two – that you add dark vision like to 10 feet for her as well as the lantern? That would give her at least a little bit of surround? I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, I also have the ability to sneak up on her without her knowing. I, that you do. I can't do that to the rest of you, despite the fact that you can't look everywhere at once. That's true. Yeah, you know, the lighting effect doesn't give us the power to control things like that. If I want to do that, I right. have to use an invisible enemy. And one of the key token, things about you know? the way the system works is it assumes you're always looking around all over the place. It's it's a it's it's a you know best of both worlds scenario, right? You only yeah. have the tools that you have. These tools are just cool enough to be worth using. And be excited about the way they apply. Just just picture her character like a walking lighthouse just keeps spinning. <laughs> I've seen her do that a few times. Well, what's worse is... With her tokens sitting there doing circles. She can only yeah. stop orthogonally. So she see the diag- to see the diagonals, she sweeps it. She can see tokens in the diagonals and the sweeps. And then when she stops on the orthogonal again... Um, she can't see them down, anymore. left, right. She just has to remember what was where. She has... To, yeah, she has to... But her character obviously can point the lantern that way. The lantern that way, and then it pops back to an orthogonal when she gets done playing with it. Kind of funny. Anyway, so, I mean, there's that. Um, I, I want to say, if you if you have any experience with uh, creating tone through character action and description in combat that you think would be um, useful for us, let us know. You know, feedback at prismaticsunami.com. I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to read it on the air, talk about it. If you have ever had one of those visceral experiences like we were talking about, I'm talking a little more on the lines of what we were discussing with the uh, Brick on the Beach event than, say, the one character's moments. Because I I think that one of the things that makes gaming like this great is that occasionally people roll the 20 and it gives everybody a chance to get excited and describe some over-the-top, you know, behavior to expound on that. And that's part of the fun. Oh, yeah. So, right. I imagine at most tables that shit happens, That's if not regularly, regularly enough. The difference between yeah. a photograph and a, and a moving picture, you get a lot more detail what's going on in a moving picture. But you, picture. for example, so you'd want a whole range of it instead of just a single snap. You described image. that event with your character, and you remembered it clearly, and I didn't. 
But that's because it happened to you. That's true. It was your character. You were in that moment. Yeah, it's like you describe it, you start talking about it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But you put in there exactly the thing that made the difference. I happen to roll natural 20. Like, oh, yeah. That's one of those moments when I, every time somebody does that, I see players perk up and go, <laughs> well, you know, even if it isn't the oh, player's question. Oh, this is what happened. Although we'll also do the same thing. It's like I rolled a two or one, and I'm like, okay, well, this is what happened. <laughs> Apparently, as from? I was slanging across, <laughs> I hit the pole on the way by, and I should have swung over instead of across. I was sure I had a sword in this hand when I started over here. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm left-handed. My bad. <laughs> I know yeah. something you don't know. <laughs> but if you've ever had one of those really visceral moments uh, in a game, and I, I realize that some game systems lend themselves that direction more than they do to come to the other stuff we're talking about, because like, I was talking about D&D games in this situation. But we play all the game systems as well. And so uh, I'd still like to hear about it. Feel free to drop us a line, talk about it a little bit. Uh, we got a game today. Yes. If you guys feel like getting to it, we got a game today. I want to figure out some... Um, some ways to approach. I want to talk to you guys about it anyway. I want to figure out some ways to kind of break the ice on the role playing because, uh, and, and Jason and I were talking about this earlier. He's he, he kind of pointed out that last week was his first real session with this group, and he he wasn't feeling good. He was hardly at one hundred percent. He was sick when he came to the session. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was allergies. I really <laughs> did. I know. I know. I'm glad you feel better now. Yeah, we're fine. Uh, no covids and. Uh, Really, if if you know if you're if you're not in that headspace, it may not be something that's going to work for you anyway. But assuming a certain equitability to you know everybody's approach to the game or options approaching the game, I would love to hear your thoughts on kind of um, getting the characters' interactions and personalities into play more. Because uh, right now we had like a, a thing where it's like you guys are traveling, so y'all are walking, y'all are walking, you show up at this place where I'm going to have an encounter. And then I let you guys do a little bit of kind of describing what you're doing and stuff. There's a little bit of role play, but not a ton of it. And then the encounter happens, and once we're done, everybody just kind of shuts down. It's like, okay, so we're walking again. I've been trying to be descriptive. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, Vanessa and our, my characters have this weird... I'm the annoying bard. It works. Right, especially because we're like the only two who are the same race. That trope is a little cartoony, though. I'm okay with that. He's yeah. kind of cartoony. Uh, it, it doesn't lend itself to you know uh, a lot of strong interaction beyond yeah. because you know it, it makes you it makes you feel predictable. So it's like um, uh, I mean, realistically, I until to... he has a traumatizing event, he's going to be kind of predictable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just saying. That was not an invitation you should have oh, given, ma'am. Yeah. We are in trouble now. I'm sick. I don't think I can make it to game night. Define traumatized. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's next week it. too. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying he's he's level one. He's kind of innocent. He's kind of charming. Just barred. I may not be available for the Sunday. Are you guys still first level? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I think so. We, we get so distracted. I just was kind of like, you know, thinking about it though. Unless we, we're supposed to be second level, I mean, I can always level Gabu. I don't. I'm pulling I'm up D and D Beyond right now. <laughs> you guys are checking out. First level. I love it. Uh, so I am just kind of curious whether or not there's anything we can do. And, and it doesn't have to be entirely organic. Organic role-playing is a great way to approach things when it works. But like Savage Worlds has their interlude system, for example, which is always like uh, you guys are hanging out at the campfire, draw a card. Somebody who draws a card of a certain suit, it's your turn to tell to figure out a way to work into the story here where you're telling somebody some story about this thing you did. And because it's this suit, it had something to do with a romantic entanglement. You know, comes up. Figure out how it comes up. Go with it. Roll with it. You know. I wish D&D had something more organic like Is that. Is that what Jesse was doing in the Goblin game? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. That's not... that. Actually, I would argue that that's the opposite of organic. It's... 
because organic comes up without having to have a rule mechanism to build it into play. True, but there's no mechanism for it in D&D. Right. And I, like, at you know, all. Because that's not what the game's about, right? Yeah. It's what our D&D game is kind of about. That's because role play is fun. But it does require <laughs> role play. You know, it does require buy-in. And, uh, you know, it, 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 there's various reasons that that hasn't. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not saying the game's bad or anything. There's various reasons that that doesn't necessarily go very far. And you guys are started with new characters, which you don't get, you don't really know yet. We're yeah. still meeting our characters. You expect us to introduce you to them when we don't even know them? Come on, man. Yeah, but they've been together for three days. Three days <laughs> I is not much. have a little bit of apprehension of each other. <laughs> Gabo's terrified of the Minotaur and now the new lion guy. That's fair. So. <laughs> I think, yeah. They're well, much larger than me and I might look tasty. Well, that's the thing is I start receiving like, you know, I'm taking my divination a little bit into my character and picking up little side divination things make it more reasonable pace i think but i'm i'm excited about possibly doing some stuff but i still i took the opportunity to meet the lion person when he walked in it was obviously signs and portents in the way he walked in and i go up to him at the bar and i'm like you dream of the <laughs> of the island right and he's like yeah that's one of the things about the game. I, I, you know, I built that mechanism into the idea of the campaign where if you didn't communicate at least that, you wouldn't have a reason to be together. So that was kind of built into where I know you guys would right. to kind of pull the group together, which is a little meta, but it's, you know, it, it works nicely. And so I got to play simultaneously a main character and the creepy person in the side that initiates the quest by coming up to somebody and saying, your future is this. And he's like, what? I see dreams of islands in your past. What? I also, <laughs> since this game is a mythic age kind of game, like a Greek mythic kind of game, I also want to find a way to um, build on that tone of kind of Grecian heroism and stuff where when we do describe things and focus on things, there that, there's that sort of sense of kind of um, romanticized grandeur built into it. Yeah. Every story is kind of an epic. Which I wish I could remember how I worded that because that I did so much better Mm -hmm. in the day. It really felt deep. You know, so that when somebody asks the Leonin that Jason is playing, for example, you know, um, well, so what drove you out of the, you know, out of your homeland? What what brought you on the road? And he could say, well, one day I was fishing and I just kind of thought, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or he could say, there was a time I was a lad. And I mean, there's, there's a way that you can approach telling a story or relating an idea that adds that dimension to what you do that, that creates tone. Did I say 10? I meant 1.0. I forgot the decimal point. <laughs> <laughs> For that, some that, reason, that, that got me happened. thinking of the movie Rockstar when he had to go take a piss and just walks away. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> On that note. Uh, if there's anything Expo you'd like Street. to anything you'd yeah. like to add uh, to the conversation, I don't know how you're going to get it in there, but feel Good free. Luck. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com is the best way to reach us. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Yeah. As what always. can I say? I'm awesome. Uh, <laughs> had a great time talking to you today. Uh, be sure to join us next Go week. Us. Thank you for listening to episode number 261 of Metagamers Anonymous. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm still Vanessa. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Assumptions that. I think I said it.